Amen. Thank you, Jim. I really appreciate that. And I do encourage us all here that we are on a regular basis, daily, that we are finding our altar and that you are um, having your time of prayer and Bible reading and uh, recognizing the fact that uh, we just need to really focus on that. Uh, we started we said that a few weeks ago when we first started that life was going to be different. And uh, you really just can't wait for your Sunday morning dose of reality anymore. You have to find it every day in the way you can find Jesus. And so I'm just encouraging you to uh, to uh, take that seriously and really press in on your own. So this is looks like this is going to be this way for the foreseeable future. I'm hoping that um, we may be able to get a live stream going in the sanctuary soon, working on some different technology and some things that we might be able to have some live worship. So maybe in a week or two, we'll be able to have Jackie and uh, Tom come in and, and uh, have some live worship with us as well. So uh, stay tuned for that. I'm, I'm hoping that we're going to make that happen. I'd also like to just uh, to thank those that have been faithful in their giving. Um, there have been people that have dropped off their tithes and their offerings, and I really appreciate that. And there's others that are doing it online uh, through PayPal, and that's awesome. We can, you can, that's another way to do it. Another way to do it, if you'd like to, the way I do it is that I make um, the church a pay-to pay account. I pay most of my, my bills online through my bank, and so I just make an automatic uh, a recurrent a check that comes every, uh, every week, every two weeks, whenever I get paid, um, and it just comes right to the church, um, and I don't even have to worry about it. So uh, that just comes right off the top, and that's my tithing and my offering. So uh, I would encourage you and thank you for your faithfulness over, the, over this time that just to continue to remember your church because um, as you rem- remember the church, remember the Lord was faithful, and he is uh, righteous, and he is uh, bountiful with his, uh, with his blessings. So... Um, let me ask one other thing before I, before I get into the message, and, and both Hannah and Jim kind of touched on this, but uh, with the social distancing going on, people are beginning to feel somewhat isolated. And so I am asking for everybody in the church to be the church today. I think you probably have a, a call list or you have a phone list of all the people in our church, and if you don't have one, see me or come email me. I'll get you one. But I would just encourage all of us to reach out to those that we haven't seen in a while and make a phone call, especially maybe to those that are elderly. Just double check on them. See how they're doing. Just talk to them. We're lonely. Um, we certainly can have uh, good fellowship over the phone. And I would just encourage you all to uh, just take that and uh, make that part of your life that you would just every day you'd ask the Lord, who should I call today? Uh, who should I talk to? And just um, Ask the Lord to uh, bring people to your mind and just um, reach out. So I think that's all of the announcements. So let's uh, let's talk today. I, we're we're taking a break um, from our series. We've been on this on the series on the Holy Spirit, basically the fruit of the Spirit. And today we were going to talk about goodness, but this is Palm Sunday, and so we're gonna we're gonna take a break on our fruit of the Spirit conversations. And we're going to talk about Palm Sunday because this is an important day, as uh, we've already mentioned, that holidays are, uh, are good and they're special. And so we're going, to, we're going to talk, and specifically the title that I would have today is The Perceptions and the Reality of Palm Sunday. Let's pray for a minute first. Father, I just pray that you would just be with us in our conversation today. Holy Spirit, just do your work. Speak through us today. Lord, let us hear what you would have. I pray that our hearts would be open to hear, uh, that we'd be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit would whisper to us and maybe even bring a little conviction and maybe bring a little joy. But, Father, I pray that our hearts would be open to hear what you have in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So the question I have this morning is, Palm Sunday, is it the beginning of the end of Jesus' ministry, or is it just the beginning? Now, I guess that all depends on one's perception of who Jesus was and what his ministry was all about. Perception, let's talk about that. Perception is very important because perception is how we see life. It's the lens that we see life through. There's an old saying that says, perception is reality. And uh, I, you probably know what that means. It, it has probably very significant meanings in all of our lives. But perception is how one perceives truth. Is truth taken at face value for what it really is saying? Or does truth need to be modified a little bit and made a little bit easier and softened a little bit so that it's more easy, it's easier to accept and maybe easier to apply? That gives us our perception. How do we perceive truth? Because the reality is, I believe, that most of the time, the truth of God's word goes against what we want to hear and appears so difficult, maybe, that we have to feel like we have to soften it or we have to find ways to change it so that it it has enough truth, but yet not so much that it hinders my lifestyle that it makes it easy to live. So I think that truth and perception and how we perceive truth is a, is a really important thing for us to consider. And I think I've just basically uncovered the definition of relative truth. Relative truth, it's, it's a big issue for today because rel- relative truth says that may be true for you, but it's not necessarily true for me. It may be true for somebody else, but it doesn't necessarily have to impact my life that way. That becomes relative truth. And so now truth doesn't really stay as truth anymore. It's really a perception of the truth coming through the lens of a person's perspective. And this is where we can get into a lot of trouble. And this is where the world struggles so much. So the reality of that is that we are living in a life of perception that probably doesn't match up with the reality of God's truth some or even most of the time. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the perception and the reality of Palm Sunday. What did it really mean? And what does it mean for us today? What did it mean for the people in Jesus' day? And what does it mean for us? So in this context then, Palm Sunday and the week following for those people in that time, could have been a very confusing time based upon their perception of who Jesus was and what his purpose was supposed to be by coming into Jerusalem that day. What is the perception and the realities of Palm Sunday? Um, I think one way to look at it is how, one way for us to get a good perspective of that is how do we look at religious holidays today? I think as we can perceive um, how, how we can go back to look at how they perceived it, I think by we need to get in context of maybe how we perceive some things today. So let's talk about religious holidays for a minute because I think this can be very enlightening for us. I think that most of the time, religious holidays become very generic and watered down to fit the needs and the perception of the religious people in our society and those that would claim to be religious. Let's take Christmas and Easter, for example. We make them to be very easy to talk about. 
We take the reality of what it really meant for Jesus to leave a perfect heaven to come down to a flawed earth. Yes, he created it perfectly, but through the sin of mankind, we know that it was flawed. And he knew that it was flawed. And he was willing to leave the perfection of heaven to come down as a baby and live this life. And we just want to make Christmas really easy. And then looking at Easter, Easter is even a a more watered-down holiday because we don't want to look at the ugliness of the cross. The cross was a very ugly thing. It was a very painful thing. It was something that wasn't easy to look at. But yet we have a way to take Easter and Christmas and water them down to make them childhood stories. We, we give them reasons that we come together for family um, parties. We get together and have dinners and, and, uh, and family gatherings. And, and those aren't bad. I'm not saying those are, ba- aren't, are bad at all because I love being together with my family as well. But if we're not seeing the reality of what these holidays are, we're just basically taking the truth out of them. And we're living in a perception of them. But the reality of the religious holidays, at least from God's perspective, is far different than the perception of the religious people today. The reality of what God was doing in these holidays was, is, is, is so different. It, it cost God both Christmas and Easter. Both cost God some very precious things. And he sacrificed. He, the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they sacrificed greatly so that they could recreate a relationship with you and I because of these holidays. The reality of these holidays was intended by God to give us a relationship with him, uh, maybe for the first time and for those that have been Christians and are Christians, maybe these holidays are markers that we should look at every one of these holidays as a way to um, make our relationship with Jesus closer and more intimate and more real. Unfortunately, I think many times these holidays have just turned into a Hallmark holiday where we just get together and have big meals, and celebrate with each other, have family fun time and give presents and uh, maybe even find some Easter eggs. <laughs> I'm not really sure where Peter Bunny or, or the, the Easter Bunny uh, really and the chocolate egg comes in. And that's not for today. That's um, go talk to your pastor. If you've got a pastor in another church, let him answer that question. But I'm not going to. So let's talk about the, Christ, the realities of perceptions and the realities of Palm Sunday and see if we can learn from them any deeper truths that we might get out of them besides just a casual holiday. Let's start by reading the account of the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem that morning. Turn in your Bible, and I would encourage you to go get your Bible, get a piece of paper, and uh, you know, write down these texts so you can uh, study them later or open your Bible and read along with me, or you can maybe try to read it on the screen behind me. Beginning at in Mark chapter 11, beginning at, beginning at verse 7, it says, When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Now, there's some words there that we don't really understand. Let's go back. Let's try to understand the social setting of the day. And if we can maybe understand that, it will help us to understand a little bit maybe more what these words mean, Hosanna and uh, the kingdom of our father David and so forth. But let's just, let's just set, the, set the stage a little bit. Jesus was around 33 years old at this point. Uh, he'd been in public ministry for about three years. 
And in that public ministry, ministry, he had performed many miracles, and he taught many really good lessons and spoke many parables. And he became known in the, in the area of, as a powerful man and a great teacher and the greatest teacher of all times. He also had direct conflict with the Jewish religious leaders because they were all getting a little bit intimidated by this Jesus man. They were getting intimidated by the power that he had and the way he spoke and the way that he had uh, clearly information and a way about him that was not typical of men of that day. So they were concerned. They were concerned that they were going to lose their power. They were concerned about their own religious um, authority and their position with the people. Yet the Jewish, the common Jewish people, uh, they saw Jesus as a game changer, possibly. They may not, may not, they may not have understood from God's perspective what Jesus was intended to do there, but they saw him as a very special person and powerfully able to potentially change their life. See, at that time, Israel, the Jewish people were under an oppressive Roman rule. And the Romans uh, taxed them heavily and, and had great um, pressure on the, the Roman, on the Jewish people. So there was definitely a way, uh, there was a, um, there was a, a, a movement. They, they wanted to get a, uh, out from underneath the Roman rule. And there, but there was a fine line of peace between uh, living under that Roman rule and uh, breaking away from it. And the Jewish leaders understood that. So they, they walked a, a, a real fine line between being a, a, a um, a zealot, as well as you know, protecting their position with Rome because they didn't want Rome to upset their apple cart either. So the perception of the day was really interesting. When we talk about perception here, we're talking about um, the difference between man's perception and God's perception. Are they the same or are they different? We're going to talk about that because when we start looking at um, perception and reality, we need to know what perspective we're coming from. So the point I want to make today, the real point of this message, is that if we're not careful in our perceptions, we can totally miss what God is wanting our reality to be. If we're not careful in our perceptions, we can totally miss what God is wanting our reality to be. So let's see how the people saw it. And let's see, did they miss it or did they get it? Let's start with the, with the disciples. See, the disciples were... Obviously, Jesus' closest friends, and they, of all of them, should have had a really better understanding of what was going on. But what were they thinking at this point in time? Remember, the disciples were just were men just like you and I, uneducated men for the most part. And what were they thinking now that Jesus is coming into Jerusalem on this day and the people are honoring him as the king? Um, what's going on in their minds they may have been thinking things like, well, Jesus, it's about time. We've been wanting to call you king all this time, and now finally we can declare you as the king. Jesus, we left our families. We left our jobs. And there was a lot of people that were looking at us at that time thinking, what are you guys doing? You guys are crazy for leaving, this, leaving your jobs and your life to go to follow this Jesus guy. Now, Jesus, because you're setting yourself up as a king, now we're going to show them. Uh, th they might have been thinking they were going to take their rightful positions in, in power. Um, they might have um, lots of different ideas of what that meant for Jesus to become a king of Israel. Finally, they would have their power and authority that they've wanted for years, possibly. I don't think that the disciples really had any idea what was going on that day. I don't think they had a clue as what this really meant. Judas, however, missed it the most, quite obviously. He was the one that denied Jesus. 
Jesus, uh, Judas, being the money man of the group, saw this as a great opportunity for him. Uh, if Jesus is going to become king, what does that mean for Judas? <laughs> that means that Judas is going to be the treasurer of the Jewish empire, and that's going to make him very popular and very wealthy. So in his mind, this is the best thing going. Jesus is coming in. The people are going to make him king, and uh, life's going to be good for Judas. What about the general Jewish population? What do you think they were thinking? They were excited as well about Jesus coming in. Like we've already said, they were confident that Jesus was going to be victorious in overthrowing the Roman government. I mean, they saw his miracles. They saw what, he had, what his life was up to this point in time. I mean, if Jesus can raise Lazarus from the dead, he certainly can, over, he can overrule Rome. There is no question in their minds that Jesus is coming in at this point in time to give them a good life on earth. And so they got so excited here. They, that's why they were throwing their, their coats, and that's why they got palm branches, because that's what they did for royalty. And that's why they were excited about Jesus coming in, because Jesus was going to be the king of Israel, and he was going to set up an, an earthly kingdom. And what better time for this to happen? This is Passover. Now, normally, I understand that at that time, there was probably about 50,000 people in Jerusalem. Passover, it could have easily swelled to maybe three or four times that number of people, maybe more. So here, there's a lot of people coming into Jerusalem now, and a lot of excitement is being generated. So it's really easy to see the crowd getting excited and, and, and shouting out like, we, like we've already read, um, shouting out like we've already read that, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Did you hear that? Blessed is the coming kingdom of their father David. They had no idea that Jesus was there to set up an an eternal kingdom, a spiritual kingdom. They were all about living in the moment, just like you and I are. That's why we struggle sometimes with this COVID-19, because we're living in a moment and we don't like it. Well, they were living in a moment, and they saw Jesus coming, and they cried out, Hosanna in the highest. What about Jewish, the, religious, the religious Jewish leaders at the time? What about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the leaders there? What do you think their perspective was? Well, you've got to know that all this hype over Jesus was really getting to them. This was something that was really making them upset because Jesus was their nemesis. He was coming to upset their apple cart majorly, He was coming in to destroy what they had set up, their power kingdom, and they were not happy with this. After Jesus arrived in the city, he went to the temple. And I want to read this next passage because this will tell you truly what the Pharisees thought of him. So again, get your Bible open. Turn to to Matthew chapter 7. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. And let's read the account of Jesus going into the temple. Beginning at verse 12. It says, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. Now, I don't think we realize that many times. I think a lot of times we, when Jesus went to the temple, we were focusing on Jesus overturning um, the tables of the money changers. But verse 14 is an interesting verse. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and what did Jesus do? He healed them. All right, now that sets up verse 15 and beyond. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things Jesus did, 
and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You, Lord, would have called forth your praise. I don't think the word word indignant really captures the hatred and the absolute fear and and detest that the um, Jewish leaders had for Jesus at that time. You see, when men begin to lose their power and their role of authority, they can do incredibly evil things. Think about that. Man, now I'm not going to go down to political world today, but we see a lot of stuff happening politically when one political party wants to overthrow another political party. The evil that men can dream up when a man starts to lose his power or wants to gain power is amazingly bad. These Jewish leaders, they were willing to do anything to get rid of Jesus, even to the point of getting him killed. Hmm. So for that day, some saw Jesus as the promised conqueror and the deliverer from Roman rule. Some saw this to be a great opportunity. Some saw this to be the fact that Jesus now is going to set them free. Others, the religious leaders, saw Jesus coming as a threat to them, that Jesus was going to take away their power and their authority. So the question I have is, did either of these groups come close to God's perception? What was God's perception for this day? Well, I think we can pretty much understand that both God the Father and Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit, the, th- the three in one, they all, they all understood that the events of the day at that time were totally being misunderstood by the people. He knew that Jesus was, they knew that Jesus wasn't coming to set up an earthly kingdom. They knew that his coming was to be a sacrifice. His coming was to be a lamb to be slaughtered. He was coming to give his life to save the people not to set up a kingdom so that people would serve him. I find it very interesting that quite possibly that even the gate that Jesus entered the city through that day showed his intention of why he was coming to Israel or why he was coming into Jerusalem that day. It says, I I saw this, it said, located on the northeast corner of the old city, the sheep gate is a natural choice from the land bridge and was a common gate that Jesus used to enter the city in. It was so named as lambs destined for the temple sacrifice entered here. And here's the key point. They did not leave alive. Can you see Jesus entering through the sheep gate that day? knowing that he wasn't going to leave alive. Can you see the passion? I think it's pretty obvious here that the two perspectives of the day weren't matching up, that man's and God's perception were totally missed. They were missing the mark. Man thought Jesus was coming to be the savior, the king. Jesus was coming in to be the lamb to be slaughtered. So we have to ask about reality. What about reality? Did their realities and their perceptions match up? Well, I can just say this much, that when perceptions and realities don't match up, it's pretty much a time for disaster. 
when perceptions and realities don't match up, there's great opportunity for disappointment. Great disappointment. Because what I perceive to be something, and the reality is it's not, then I have a great opportunity to be, dis- to be disappointed and to be totally knocked off my horse, so to speak. So what was man's reality? What was man's reality? Let's fast forward just less than a week from this point in time. This is Palm Sunday. Let's fast forward just a less than a week to see if the reality of the people's perceptions were matching up to the reality of the, of the situation that was happening. Now, Jesus, as we all know, he was put on trial. And after the mock trial by the Jewish leaders, they brought him before Pilate to have him crucified as a blasphemer. Let's read that. Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, at, beginning at verse 12. This is Pilate speaking. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Now, just a few days earlier, many of these same people were in the crowd shouting, Hosanna to the high, or Hosanna to, to the king of kings, Hosanna to the highest. They, they were seeing Jesus to come in and they were praising him and honoring him and wanted him long life, long live the king, basically. And now they're shouting, crucify him. I think it's a pretty safe bet that all men, probably even the disciples at this time, saw the reality of all their perceptions and their expectations being dashed in the moment. Palm Sunday was all leading up to Good Friday. And I know we're jumping ahead a little bit here. But the reality, the reality for most people isn't seen until it's too late. That's the sad part about it. And this is a scary part of the story for many people because most people live in perceptions of their, re- of their own reality, which isn't God's reality. See, people then and people today are either blinded by our sin and our deception to the reality of life. We're blinded by it, and so our perception now becomes a subset of God's reality. Maybe they don't want to see it that way, or maybe they, and maybe they just choose to ignore it. I'm not sure which one they would take. But I don't think we're any different than the people of that day because what people were doing then, they were crying out at one time, Hosanna to the highest, King of kings, live forever, all that good stuff, and now they're saying crucify him. Do you think they really understood what they were asking? Do you think they really had a clue what was going on at this moment? I'm going to give these people a the, the, uh, uh, shadow of doubt here. I, I don't think they did. I don't think the common Jewish person had a clue what was going on here. I think they were just caught up in the moment. They, if they were to be caught up into the, into the hype and into the passion of the Jewish leaders that wanted to crucify Jesus, that wanted to protect their own skin, they wanted to protect their own, their own position. And I think that they rallied the common Jewish people and, and just really got them on their side, and they didn't have a clue of really what was going on. What does that say about us today? Well, let me ask a couple of questions. Do we ever get caught up in the mainstream of popular consensus and go with the flow without realizing what's going on either? 
Do we really sometimes find ourselves just following the crowd and really not have an idea where the crowd's going? Maybe if you put yourselves on that day, would you, would I have been crying out, crucify him just like they were? You see, it's easy to criticize them. It's easy to go back and say, no, we wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have done that. And yet, I go on living my life in this world, in my life, that is basically saying the same thing because of my actions and my choices aren't lining up with God's reality. You see, we can criticize people in the past and we can say how they did, they just missed it. But how easy is it in our deception and our perceptions? Can we miss it just like they did? Are we really any different than they were? Man, I, let's just think about that for a minute. I mean, just reflect back on some of the things you've done in your life, some of the thoughts you've, you've had or some of the relationships you've had with people. Did you honor Jesus in those? Were you honoring Christ in all of your actions and all of your thoughts and all of your ideas? Or were there sometimes maybe where you were uh, in your, your, maybe your ignorance or maybe in a rebellious heart? You said, no, I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to do it the way I perceive it to be. I want to take my perception of the truth because it's easier to live than the reality of God's truth. So I'm going to live in my perception. And in any, if we do that, we're, living and we're just as we're doing the same thing these people were doing that said crucify him this reminds me of a verse in matthew chapter 7 jesus is talking here and he's talking about the wide and the narrow roads of life when it comes to the majority and the minority of people matthew chapter 7 just turn back a few uh, pages in your bible matthew chapter 7 verses 13 and 14 The New Living Translation says it this way, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the highway, but the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. I think the key words here is where is the key words are many and few. The gate is wide for the many. In fact, some translations even say for most. For most of the people that choose, that most of the people will be on the wide road. And only a few will be on the narrow road that leads to heaven. Many will be on the wide road that leads to hell. And only a few will be on the narrow road that leads to heaven. And I think if we think about the scripture for, for a bit, it might help us see the way God sees the reality of life versus the way man sees the reality of life. See, men seem to think that if enough people choose a particular pattern or if if enough people choose a particular thing, then it must be right. It must be safe. The majority couldn't be wrong, could they? Really? Could Could the majority be wrong in something as important as life and death? See, but that's not God's reality at all. God's not driven by a class curve. He's driven by righteousness and by holiness. So what is God's reality? Well, God knew the path of Jesus, and he knew that it was going to be rejected before it ever happened. He knew that men were going to, were going to make their, their bad choices. God knew this was going to happen, and he allowed it. He knew that people were going to totally misunderstand Jesus' mission in life. He knew they were going to demand his crucifixion on that day. 
and, uh, on that cross, and, and, he, and he allowed it. He knew that men were going to sin and separate themselves from God, and he allowed it. He, had to, he allowed it because, man, because God was given free choice in that when God created man, and the free choice that we have is our proof that we love him or not love him. So God allows us to, do our, to have our ways. He allows us to have our choices. But the reality is God's reality is different than our reality because God's judgment in his love will come to us. And that's the reality of Palm Sunday. God's reality beginning on Palm Sunday was for Jesus to be the sacrificial lamb that would take away the sin of all mankind. God knew the reality of Jesus, of his life that day, was going to get really ugly this week. Yet his plan was to reestablish relationship with us through the painful brokenness of Jesus' life. As the, as the writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning at shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now let me ask you the question, what was the joy of Jesus? The joy of Jesus was you and I. We are his reality and that he was establishing the only way that, he, that we ever could have a relationship with him and his father again was through Jesus. The prophet Isaiah foretold us of his sacrifice hundreds of years before this ever happened. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7, that he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth and skip down to verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. The Lord makes his life an offering for sin. What started out that day as a celebration that week as a celebration in the perception of men turned into the ugliest and hardest reality in the history of God's creation. That week that began that day was supposed to end in celebration and joy, but it turned out to be one of denial, deception, and untold agony in the life of Jesus. So as we're getting ready to move to the end here, I want to ask a couple of really important questions. Where does man's perception come from? Where does man's perception, if it's not lining up from God, with God's word, then where is man's perception come from? The perception of men is a result of Satan taking the truth of God's reality and twisting it with his lies of deception to deceive and destroy. Let me read that again. Man's perception is the result of, Satan's, of Satan taking the truth of God's reality and twisting it with his lies of deception to deceive and to destroy. You see, up to this point in time uh, of this crucifixion, it appeared that Satan had won the battle. All hope for mankind was lost. In just a few days, Jesus will be hanging on a cross a death, dying a death he didn't deserve to die. And Satan and his demons were celebrating because in their twisted state of deception, they had won. However, thank the Lord that God's reality and man's reality weren't matching up here. God wasn't going to allow his son to die without a purpose and without a cause. What's even sadder here for those, for some people, is that... Um, some people's realities aren't matching up to what's really what's going on. You see, mankind is still being influenced by our own naturally evil fleshly self, and the enemy would do anything he can 
to distort our perception, to take our, 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 our perception of God's truth and to twist it around and to make it what the enemy would have it to destroy us. And here's the thing. I, I, I'm a little conflicted right now in my heart. I'll just be honest with you folks. I, I'm, this is where it gets hard for me. I really don't know who I'm talking to today. Uh, when I'm speaking to the church, <laughs> I know the people. <laughs> I see their faces. I pretty much know their lives. I, I, I pretty much know their struggles. But today I'm feeling like I'm talking to some people out there today that have maybe have struggles and they don't really know the solution. I want to just encourage you today that our hope Our hope is not in our perception. Our hope is in the reality of who Jesus is. Palm Sunday was the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. It wasn't the end. I started off by asking the question, is this the beginning of the end of Jesus' ministry or is it the beginning of the beginning of Jesus' ministry? I am so thankful that this is the beginning of the beginning. If you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then Palm Sunday means so much more to you than it did for those people that thought he was the king of Israel, setting it up in an earthly, temporary kingdom. So the question I have to ask you today is, where are you on your perception and reality scale? Where are you on it today? Do you know for certain that, Jesus, that heaven is your home? If this, was, if this was your last day on earth, do you know where you would go? I know there's a lot of fear today in lives of people, and rightly so. And the last thing I'd want to do is use COVID-19 as a fear factor because I'm not doing that. I'm talking about perception, and I'm talking about reality. And the reality is that we're all going to face our day. At some point in time, we're going to leave this earth. It's so important that our realities match God's realities at that time. It's so important that we're not living in a, per, in a perception of, oh, I'll be okay, or I'll, uh, I'll have time at the end. Hmm. Like I said earlier in, the, in this message, the saddest day is when perceptions don't match reality and it's too late. So I just want to encourage you today. I don't know where you're at spiritually. I don't know where you're, where you're at, what your relationship with the Lord is. But this is the place, this is the day when we can recognize who Jesus is. So I'm going to pray. And I want to pray a simple prayer of forgiveness. And I would like you to pray this with me, if you would. If you recognize the fact that you have sin in your life, if you've recognized the fact that maybe you've been a little rebellious or maybe you've been following the the majority of the crowd and the crowd maybe isn't on the right path, you have a way, you have an opportunity to change. And this is the way you do it. Close your eyes with me and pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner, that I'm living a life of perception and not a life of reality. I'm sorry for my sin and my poor choices. I want to begin a new life. I want your reality. I accept the sacrifice of Jesus for my sins. And I ask you to forgive me so that I can have a personal relationship with you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
And I'm asking this, that you would see this as an opportunity of a new life. Next Sunday's message is going to be on Easter. It's going to be the fact that we're going to see the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. The rest of the story is Jesus lives. Yes, right now we are in Palm Sunday and Good Friday. We're in the week that's going to bring a lot of, a lot of ugliness. And like anything else, whenever you do a project, it's got to get ugly before it's better. And this is what's happening right now. Jesus is living the life of ugliness so that we can have a life of beauty. He brings beauty from ashes. So I just want to encourage you today. And listen, I just want to also encourage you that um, here's my phone number. If you prayed this prayer this week, if you've prayed this prayer today, call me this week. Let's talk. Don't hesitate to call me and talk. And if you have questions, I'd be happy to give the best I can give, pray with you, encourage you. But I just want you to know that you're not alone, that we're going to get through this together. And the most important way to get through it is with Jesus. So thank you for being with us today and uh, have a blessed day.